Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 6. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, a complaint arose from the Hellenists against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily service. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not appropriate for us to forsake the word of God and serve tables. Therefore select from among you, brothers, seven men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will continue steadfastly in prayer and in the ministry of the word. These words pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem exceedingly. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of faith and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. But some of those who were of the synagogue called the Libertines, and of the Cyrenians, of the Alexandrians, and those of Cilicia and Asia arose disputing with Stephen. They weren't able to withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly introduced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and came against him and seized him, and brought him into the council, and set up false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs which Moses delivered to us. All who sat in the council, fastening their eyes on him, saw his face like it was the face of an angel. All right, so recapping from last week's episode in Acts chapter 6, there was a problem that arose in that widows were being neglected, and the church came together behind the leadership and they solved it. Let's consider the reality that all local church bodies today have some issues that pop up over time. If they aren't prayerfully and biblically addressed, those issues can lead to some larger rifts, severe division that can hamper or even destroy a church family. Some of these issues could begin simply as some sort of practical and administrative hurdles. So what are some real-world issues that might arise within a fellowship? Maybe a church body has a larger-than-normal proportion of elderly members, but not enough accommodations to handle their needs. Let's say many of the younger, healthier church families are getting to church early and parking close to the building entrance, not purposely or maliciously, 
They've caused many of the old folk some added stresses in having to walk large distances across the parking lot to get into the services. How can an issue like that be addressed? Like we learned about last week here in Acts 6, those struggling with the issue will need to make the problem known to the church. This doesn't mean they should be grumbling about the issue or gossiping against those causing the problem, or there's no need to criticize the leadership or angrily speak out against the party from which you felt neglected or offended. But if there are issues, neither should they be bottled up inside. If the can of soda is continually shaking without a vent for release, when it's finally opened, the contents are going to explode all over the place and cause a mess. If there is an issue that needs to be addressed, we can gently and respectfully articulate the grievances and try to work within the church body to find a solution. So back to the example here of the elderly church members being neglected, unable to park close enough to the church entrance. So who should be the one to solve the problem? We know, of course, the church body's made up of many members, not just one. Should the pastor necessarily feel obligated to be the one to solve every temporal and practical issue for the church? If his primary calling is to be faithful to prayer and to the ministry of the word, then there may be times where it's better to delegate some church responsibilities so he isn't distracted from his primary calling. The church can, as we see from this example here in Acts 6, appoint servants to handle these administrative challenges. A simple solution for the elderly parking issue could be to designate a certain amount of parking spots near the entrance of the church for certain elderly members who struggle with getting around. Let's take another example of, let's say, fast growth. If a church body's growing like super fast, especially with new believers, this is obviously an awesome thing. Dynamics change, needs arise, things might need to be tweaked to address the new growth dynamic, right? Even if it's just something administrative and practical, addressing those problems and finding solutions is really important. Maybe the place is just too small to accommodate all the members now, bursting at the seams on Sunday mornings. Maybe you go to two services. Maybe you find a larger place. Using this example here in Acts 6 as a rubric, we see there should be a team of leaders and servants within the church who work with the congregation as a whole to address the problems and find God-led solutions in unity. Moving on, verse 7. The word of God increased and the number of the disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The matter with the Hellenist widows being neglected in the distribution could have caused major division and caused their growth to stagnate. I mean, who wants to be in an environment of tension where people are on edge and unresolved matters hover in the atmosphere? How many church bodies have stagnated in growth, split, or lost significant membership because people simply couldn't get along? When brotherly love doesn't abound among a group, it's pretty apparent. There's like a spiritual stench that's hard to endure. The church in Acts 6 is a tremendous example of how division can be overcome. No doubt the church functioning in unity was magnetizing and attractive as outsiders could get a taste for the love they had for each other. And so we see here that the word of God increased and the disciples greatly multiplied. Verse 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Apparently, it wasn't just the apostles who performed signs. Stephen was a man of great faith, full of the Holy Spirit. 
He also performed wonders and signs before the people. Stephen had accepted the lowly calling and office of servant to perform financial administrative duties on behalf of the church. There was nothing outwardly glamorous about that. And yet we could see here that he would not be limited to only serving in that capacity. Remember, Stephen was delegated to certain practical administrative duties, while the apostles were to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And yet the Holy Spirit was pleased to also perform signs and wonders through Stephen on par with what he was working through the apostles. And we'll see in the following chapter, the Holy Spirit will speak just as powerfully and boldly through Stephen as he had or would through any of the apostles. That's a humbling reminder to me that it's all about God, not us. God doesn't always work as we would expect or through the people we would expect Him to work through. For example, if it was always Peter who did the signs or Peter who preached the piercing and powerful messages, maybe the people would think too much of Peter, focus too much on the clay and not on the potter. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we too can be the servant, do the unglamorous work. God is pleased to work through anyone at any time if we're simply willing and available. Don't be surprised, for example, if God chooses at times to use the door greeter at church or the groundskeeper just as powerfully as he uses the preacher to impact lives for Christ. Moving on, verse 9. But some of those who were of the synagogue called the Libertines, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia arose, disputing with Stephen. So many synagogues here of the Jews engaged with Stephen. Some have guessed the reason Luke had such a detailed accounting of this ordeal here with Stephen in Acts 6 and Acts 7 was because Paul was there Years later, Paul could have recounted the details of Stephen's preaching and stoning to Luke, as well as the inside scoop on the attitudes and the thoughts and the behaviors of the Jewish leaders. Moving on, verse 10. They weren't able to withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. It was Stephen against the world here. But he wasn't alone. Jesus said, He'll in no way leave us, nor will he in any way forsake us. Stephen could say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, they would eventually kill him, but Stephen was safely in the arms of Jesus. Jesus had taught in Matthew 10:28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Until it was Stephen's appointed time to go to heaven, God was going to work powerfully through him. Stephen spoke with such wisdom that none of the men from all of these synagogues, none of those religious elite Pharisees, trained strictly on the law, could contend with anything that he said. The spirit by which he spoke was too much for them. Stephen, through God's word and in the power of his Holy Spirit, was just destroying everybody left and right and how he reasoned and argued with them. Moving on. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and came against him and seized him and brought him into the council. 
and set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Ever been in like a super competitive sporting match where the opposing side were cheats? Maybe it started out as a fair fight, but as it became obvious they were overmatched, they began with desperation to go outside the bounds of the rules to try to get some sort of advantage. These men couldn't win an argument with Stephen. He spoke with such wisdom and power that they were being confounded. Instead of submitting to the truth spoken through him, they sought to discredit him through false testimony. And they were probably taking some of the things that Stephen had said and they're twisting it, communicating those things in a light that was stirring up the people against him. It's verse 12 that tells us they stirred up the crowd. Multiple times in Acts now, Jewish leaders had arrested leaders in the Christian church. In each situation beforehand though, they weren't able to get the people on board. The Jewish leaders would have done more to Peter, John, and others if they could have gotten away with it, no doubt. But because they feared the crowds who were sympathetic towards the apostles in earlier situations, they weren't able to execute their apparent desire to get rid of these guys. Perhaps they figured if they could get the crowds on their side, then they could more aggressively persecute or even kill these witnesses of Jesus. So in the case here of Stephen, they conspire against him. They, like snakes and cowards, secretly convinced men to lie and accuse, so the crowds would be riled up. And now with the crowds in step, they probably felt they could win the day. This is pretty similar to what they did to Jesus. And these were actually the same men who had stirred up the crowds against Jesus to have him crucified. All right, final verse. All who sat in the council, fastening their eyes on him, saw his face like it was the face of an angel. Stephen's face was like an angel. In the midst of these attacks and abuse, Christ was radiating through him. No doubt he was filled with the Holy Spirit on the cusp of some anointed and bold preaching that will soon send him to the glories of heaven. For by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Possess all knowledge, understand all mysteries. You're just a clinging symbol. Without love, you are nothing. Without love, you gain nothing. If you give up your very body to be birds, fate to remove mountains, but you don't have. I serve in some
kindness Earnestly they will contend Speaking my truth with my love For by this By this one thing By this will all men know All men will know Your mind is Your identity You have That was Four by This from the Adams Road album, Son of Man. No matter how many works you do, you may still have Jesus say that he never knew you to enter. Of our Lord, we must do the will of the Father. But what must we do to do the will of God? It's so simple. You must believe in His one and only Son, because then you'll be born again and have God living and working good works through you. Sabbath rest For God's people We've trusted in the work of Jesus After we have rested from our works God works in us for His good pleasure But what must we do to do the works of God? It's so simple must believe in His one and only Son Because then you'll be born again And have God living and working good Works through you 
the feet of you who testify and preach the good news. These are the the good works that God does through you. What must we do to do the will of God? It's so simple. You must believe in His one and only Son, because then you'll be born again and have God living and working good works through you. But what must we do to do the works of God? Again, it's simple. You must believe in His one and only Son, because then you'll be born again and have God living and working good works through you. That was It's So Simple from the Adams Road album, It's So Simple. This is the Adams Road Podcast, 
and outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 7. Grace and peace be with you all.